Welcome to Mad Lit Musings, a podcast with Jamie Jo Wright, where we go deeper and ask the tough and dangerous questions. This meeting is being recorded. Hi, everyone, and thank you for joining another Mad Lit Musings. I am super excited today. Well, I'm always super excited, so I guess that's just my opening, opening line now. <laughs> but I have with me today a really amazing author. Her name is Jennifer Diebel. She hails from the dry state of Arizona, so I can guarantee you right now when we are recording this podcast, I'm colder than she is because I'm in Wisconsin, and it's negative 10 degrees outside. So, Jen... Tell us a little bit about yourself, starting with the temperature in Arizona right now. All right. Well, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Um, yes, we are slightly warmer. Um, when I was out just a little while ago, we were uh, about to hit 60. Oh. So we're running around in our puffer coats and stocking caps and all that, because that's really cold here. Uh, yeah, we just broke out our puffer coats. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, tell us a little bit about what you write, because your writing is, your your genre is a little bit unique, and why is that? So I write historical romance, um, but it's set in Ireland. Um, I typically hover around the 1920s, um, and so there's a lot of that Irish language and, and culture that colors, like, the the landscape and the culture is almost its own character in a way. Um, so historical romance that aims to um, encourage readers in their faith kind of in an organic way um, through relatable characters and this just wonderful culture and people of Ireland. Awesome. And what gives you the expertise to write about Ireland? Are you Irish or is there something else in your background that gives you all this, this knowledge? I am Irish. My my maiden name's Martin. And so we had a, a cousin who traced our lineage back. <clears throat> my dad's side of the family has been over in the United States for like ages and ages and ages. Um, but we did find their stronghold in the Galway area, which was wow. kind of cool. Um, but beyond that, my husband and I lived in Ireland for, I think it was almost seven years. We spent two um, two years in Donegal and um, then about four and a half years in County Galway. Um, and we've been back here in the States about six years now. That's awesome. So being back in the States, I mean, I guess Ireland and Arizona are quite different. Yes, they're kind of polar opposites. You know, Ireland is the land of 40 shades of green Great. and Arizona well, not Arizona, but Phoenix is sort of 40 shades of brown. Um, right. You know, we're desert landscape here, but we have, you drive two hours to the north and you're up at 7,000 feet elevation and there's the largest ponderosa pine forest in the world. So we can escape the heat uh, when we need to, but yeah, definitely um, not a whole lot in common. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about, you just had um, the Lady of Galway Manor that released Tell us a little bit about that book and what it's about. And then um, we'll, we're going to dive a little bit deeper because I know there's some other stuff in the book that we want to talk about, but just an overview quickly. Sure. This story, I love it so much. Um, it really captivated me from the moment that the inspiration sort of hit. Um, so the story follows Annabeth DeLacy, who is a British lady of the court. Her father has been assigned um, 
as the landlord for County Galway, the, and it's set in 1920. So a lot of people don't realize that there were still British landlords ruling the Republic of Ireland. It wasn't Republic of Ireland then, um, as recently as the 1920s. Um, so she has been assigned, they've been assigned there, they've moved there. Um, and she's the oldest of two daughters. And so because her father does not have any sons, he sort of goes back and forth between treating her as a proper lady of the court, but then also um, allowing her, treating her like the son that he never had. And so he often affords her opportunities that aren't necessarily proper for a lady of the court. And so she, um, she has this eye for design and she has used it in their homes as helping her mom decorate and things like that. But when she heard about the clotter ring, mm -hmm. she was instantly intrigued. And so she managed to convince her dad to set up an apprenticeship um, for with the ancestors of the creator of the clotter ring, which if people don't know what that is, it's um, a ring that has a heart symbol. And then there's two hands on the side holding the heart. And then there's a crown on top. Okay. And <clears throat> Stephen Jennings is the youngest son of these ancestors that are running this shop. The shop actually exists. It's still running today. You can still go buy a clotter ring from them today, which is pretty cool. Um, he has known nothing but heartache and cruelty and um, just horrible things at the hands of the British. And so the only thing he's, he thinks of when he thinks of Britain is um, hate and anger and bitterness. And he's had his heart broken along the way. So the last thing he wants is to have to hang out with this British chick all day. And she has grown up hearing about how barbaric the Irish are and how they need um, help and they need to be taught God's way of things. And so she's coming in thinking she's kind of God's gift to the Irish. And he's coming at it from trying to get away from all of it. And so it's their struggle to sort of get through it. Sounds great. So really, um, you're dealing with a theme that isn't uncommon to us today. And that's mm -hmm. a stereotype or a preconceived idea about either a people group or another person or maybe a church denomination or whatever the situation may be. Um, how did you handle that in the book? or And have you experienced that in your own life? I, I for sure have experienced it in my own life. I think if anyone were to say that they hadn't, might not be being completely honest with themselves. Um, but even, you know, we had, when we first moved to Ireland, we had some preconceived ideas of what it was going to be like. Um, and we had people asking us if we were going to have to like grow our own food, what were we going to have electricity, um, things like that. And we're like, Ireland is like the largest exporter of software in the world. Like they're a modern country, but people have this sort of quiet man, thatched cottage kind of thing, image in their heads. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I wanted to approach it very carefully, um, but also very honestly, mm -hmm. because as someone who's lived outside of my home culture, um, you, you go through that sort of deconstructing process of the things that you thought were true and realizing that maybe some of the things that seemed like truth maybe necessarily weren't. Mm -hmm. And I'm not talking about, you know, like biblical truth with a capital T. I'm talking about the other sort of Correct. fringe type things. And it, 
it wasn't lost on me. So the idea for this story was came to be a couple of years ago, and I started writing it long before um, all the things that have happened um, as far as prejudice and race relations and things like that were happening in the United States um, the way that they were in 2020. And then I was writing the heart of this book in the summer of 2020. Mm. And it, um, I could not have planned that my, myself. So I also kind of listened to all the different voices that were speaking about that as well and just try to approach it honestly. And what, what is it like? What would it feel like for someone to be confronted with something that butts up against an idea that they've always held to be true? Right, right. And that's, you know, I think we've all, like you said, we've all experienced an element of drawing a conclusion about somebody or having a perception. Um, it strikes me funny that you were asked whether Ireland had electricity. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know, you know, sometimes you do. You have those pictures of what the media has portrayed or movies have portrayed. You know, I think of mm -hmm. Ireland, I think of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman and Far and Away. You know, that's <laughs> Ireland, right? Isn't that Ireland? That's all it's about, right? Right. Um, and so we do. We have those preconceived notions. Um, I remember once when I was going to be a camp counselor and I had gotten to camp early, so I was one of the first ones there. So I was watching the other um, college students coming in who were also going to be counselors. And I knew that the practice was to pair up two counselors together. So there'd be two female counselors that would work together for the entire summer. And this one girl drove in with her fancy car and um, she got out of her car and she was very pretty. She was very athletic. She was everything that I was not. And I had the thought instantly go through my mind, that would be the worst person for me to get paired mm. up with. We will have nothing in common. I probably won't like her. She's probably snooty. And I had just an instant judgment based on stereotypes that mm -hmm. have <clears throat> somehow infiltrated my psyche without me understanding that they were even there. Yes. And yes. of course, Murphy's law or God's providence, Ooh. whichever one you want to choose, you know, Christine <laughs> and I were paired up. And we became the best of friends. And those stereotypes were just blown out of the water. Granted, the interesting thing was they were true to the degree that I had read her correctly. Like our life backgrounds were very different. Um, our financial status was extremely different. Things that we prioritized in life were different. But the core of who she was as a person and as a sister in Christ was very compatible. Um, mm. So how do, in your book, you have Annabeth, who's British, gentry, mm -hmm. sort of, um, mm -hmm. she's coming in with this savior mentality to the Irish. And then you have Stephen who sees her as a threat. Um, but I can already tell just even reading the back cover that some of those core beliefs and those core issues are still at the heart of both of them and, and share. Mm -hmm. So how do you break through those barriers in fiction? And how do you break through mm -hmm. those barriers in real life? I think, um, so Stephen's dad, Seamus, um, is possibly one of the, my favorite characters that I've written. Um, but he, he has a line that he says somewhere in the book um, that of course now, even though I wrote it, I can't remember it word for word, but it's basically <laughs> saying that um, you have to get to where you're willing to listen to and be open to understanding your so-called enemy. Mm. And that can't happen 
if there's never any proximity. So, you know, Anna and Steven are forced to spend all this time together in very close proximity and um, just through even something as simple as eating a meal of fish and chips, there's these huge eye-opening moments of, for both of them about each other, but then also about themselves where, you know, Annabeth has one of those fleeting thoughts of, oh my gosh, this is peasant food. Um, and then she catches herself thinking, oh my gosh, like how many times have I rolled my eyes at my father for him saying something like that, that has no basis, but I'm harboring that same idea in my own heart. Like, what's that about? And so I think being able to talk with somebody and, and truly listen to them is huge. That doesn't mean you have to be best friends. Doesn't mean you have to put yourself in an unwise situation, but most of us aren't going to be in that sort of life or death kind of situation. It'll be like a sandpaper person that we are working with it at our job or at church or whatever. And so just sort of being willing to set our own comfort aside and truly listen to what they're saying and what, what they're saying or what they're not saying, I guess I should say kind of what's behind mm-hmm. what they're doing and, and motivating them um, to do what they do and being willing to examine your own, um, your own heart as well. And I think that is so important when you say examine your own heart and having that element of being teachable when you're Mm. listening, even as they say things that you might vehemently disagree with. um, I think, you know, I've experienced the best conversations I've had with people that I either don't align with, or like you said, a sandpaper person that's just rubbing me the wrong way, um, is when I set aside what I think is right in my own mind. And I really listen to what they have to say. Yes, there are still things I may not agree with, or I might be like, ooh, I can't mm-hmm. reconcile with that. But at the same <clears throat> time, the intent behind is so often what's overlooked and we only hear the surface and not yes. the heart and soul of the person. Yeah, for sure. So um, how did you resolve that with Stephen and um, Annabeth? I know you don't, I, we don't want spoilers, but what are some of the, the things that they came to realize about their preconceived ideas of the gentry versus the Irish? I think they both got to see that they're just, they're human. Um, you know, they're not, they're, Annabeth isn't inherently evil because she's British and he isn't inherently helpless and hapless because he's Irish, mm-hmm. that they both have places where they need to grow. They both have they're both believing lies about something, um, but they get to watch each other. Um, and Stephen ends up, because of the way his father has tasked him with what he needed to do, um, kind of showing her around the city, showing her how the Irish live, showing, letting her listen to their music and experience their cuisine and things like that. And then him watching her experience those things um, kind of unlock something in himself as well. So I think it all goes back to being willing to be present and being willing to observe and with an open mind. And like you said, you, you might not agree on everything, you know, both Annabeth and Stephen, there's elements of truth in what they each believe about the other's culture. Mm-hmm. 
but they're both believing lies about the other's culture. So there was there were places for them to find common ground and to find those bridges of what do we believe that's the same that you can then build out from there. And there's some stuff it doesn't matter if you don't agree on, you know, and there's other big stuff that it is a big deal, but you can still find those connecting points where you can build those bridges of, of shared um, situation or worldview or whatever. What do you think is one of the reasons why we shy away from trying to understand the perspective of another culture, another race, another um, denomination, you throw it in there, whatever it is. Why do you think we shy away from that? I think, I think it, it kind of goes back to pride. Um, you know, for Annabeth, she, she was, very prideful about her station and about what she could offer to her community, which offering things to your community is a good thing, but she was coming at it from the wrong perspective. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> she didn't realize that she was being prideful. She thought that she was, you know, um, being a blessing, but the way that she was going about it was, was not, you know, anything right. but blessing to them. And for Stephen, you know, he had experienced some horrible things at the hands of soldiers who happened to be British. Okay. But he had to, he couldn't, he couldn't separate the two. He equated this happened, they were British. So to be British means this. Got it. And um, I think I forgot the original question. <laughs> no, that's okay. You're, you're answering it because you're talking about um, what makes people not want to accept. Oh, that's right. Yes. Part. And you mentioned pride. And then with Stephen, I think some fear too. Yes. And I think fear and pride are very closely linked to each other. Yeah. Um, because a lot of times we use pride as that shield for fear and we want to protect our heart and we don't want to get hurt. We don't want to be uncomfortable. And it's vulnerable to listen to someone who has complete different view of the world and how the world should be, because if what they say makes sense, then suddenly you're in this sort of crisis of belief of, well, if I thought this was always true, but that could also be true. You know, you, it, it can be very vulnerable. It really um, can. Yeah. yeah. And I've always, I'm always drawn back to the idea too of analyzing our perceptions and how we can often make truths out of perceptions yes. into rights and wrongs. Yes. Not necessarily moral or biblical issues. You know, is, yes. it, is it right to be Irish or is it wrong to be British? You know, yes, exactly. Yeah, right yeah. or wrong thing. And it's like, well, um, neither. <laughs> Not a moral issue, you know. Pretty sure God made both. So. Right, exactly. And I think we get so stuck on our stereotypes sometimes or our perceptions or our belief systems that we feel it's a threat to the core foundation of what we stand on to yes. challenge some of those viewpoints when we need to step back and go, wait, is this really challenging the foundation on which I stand or is this challenging me? Absolutely. Yes. You said it much, much more concisely than, than I did, but yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. So no, I don't know that I did it more concisely. I think we're building off of each other, Jen. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
but you know, it's interesting though. I think a lot of people, and, and I've studied some Irish history, more so the Irish immigration into the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of times we forget the um, discrimination that the Irish really went under when they came over. Do you know why mm-hmm. they were so judged and discriminated against? You know, I really don't. Um, the only, and I, I haven't um, dived, dove, doven. We'll go with doved or dived. Dove, we'll dived. Do- I haven't <laughs> dived too deep in that side of things. I've, I've been sticking mostly to Ireland history in Ireland. But if I were to venture a guess, I would say it's got to be related to the fact that you know, America was originally settled by British colonists. And I think a lot of that belief was already brought over because it's always been this sort of less than, and it doesn't make a whole lot of sense when you go back and look at the history, right? Like there's no real reason why they believed that other than that God made them British. And so they were better. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's got to have something to do with um and because you know ireland didn't have the resources that the other european countries had especially britain because they had the whole you know english empire going on and so they had a lot more financial resources so the irish immigrants coming in were you know destitute basically for the most part whereas the british immigrants may have been a little bit more well off so they they were already starting off kind of with different opportunities available to them that would just be my guess well and i think you're right i mean in in the areas that i've studied like in the new york city area and the chicago area etc you had those those continuing wars and stereotypes between the gender mm. versus the irish and then you had your turf wars between the irish and the italian who yes to the british English, you know, elite, both of them were on even ground as far as being meh, but according to each other, yeah. they had to best each other. And, you know, it's just always, right. like, well, we have those little fragments within each <clears throat> culture that judges another culture. And I don't know that we are as aware of it as we should. Mm. Yeah. Well, and then even within the same culture, you look at the Irish, you have the Catholic Irish and the Protestant Irish yeah. and all of the problems that that has caused. And I think, you know, we see that a lot in the Christian world in America as well. This, this group of Christian versus this group of Christian and who's right and who's the real Christians and all that kind of stuff when none of that really serves to make his name bigger to the people around him. It just kind of comes off, comes across as petty. So I think it just speaks to that human nature of feeling, needing to feel on top or above that sort of power yes Mm -hmm. yeah it is so um I think in conclusion as I think about things like this I look at what really matters and that's the heart of the issue Mm -hmm. um, and the root of us all being creations none Mm -hmm. of us being better than the other and really when we look at it we're all on the same level because we're all sinners who are in desperate need (laughs) amen (laughs) <laughs> so when we come come at it from that approach i know i'm not sure being irish or british is going to help you one iota <laughs> no not really <laughs> oh wonderful so jen tell us a little bit about how readers can learn more about your irish fiction learn more about um, the lady of galway manor and find out more about you 
Yeah. So my website is um, kind of the one-stop shop to get everything that you would need from me. It's just jenniferdibel.com. And Dibel is a weird name. It's spelled funky. Um, it's D-E-I-B-E-L. And there, there's information about my books. There's links to my social media. There's a place where readers can sign up for my newsletter that I send out roughly once a month. Sometimes it's a little less frequently than that. And um, yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. So Jennifer Dibel, I think I've always pronounced your last name Diebel, so I, I apologize for that. No, you're fine. Everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> but it has been a blast having you, and I really appreciate your candidness. These aren't easy topics sometimes to talk about, and no. sometimes they can be a little bit frightening because we want to make sure that everybody is understanding that nothing is meant to be a, a personal attack, but I think it is important to be able to talk about um, issues of the day that affect all of us to one degree or another, mm -hmm. us more than others, but um, being aware of our differences and being aware of sure. richness that we can learn from different cultures and different people. Yes. Um, so I'm excited to read The Lady of Galway Manor. The cover is absolutely gorgeous. Um, yeah. And you got the clatter Ooh. ring on the, on the front right there. So Yep. so everybody <laughs> run out and get your copy of the lady of galway manor and my personal favorite is the dance in donegal which was the first book that you wrote i love that one so well, thank um, you there's some good stories out there if you want to read just in time for saint patrick's day that's right just around the corner sounds good well thanks jen for coming i really appreciate it and hopefully we can have you back sometime thanks so much for having me it was a blast Thank you for listening to Madlit Musings. You can find out more information about Madlit and all that it has to offer at madlitmentoring.com. That's madlitmentoring.com. Or check out more about Jamie Jo Wright at jamiewrightbooks.com.